Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We humble ourselves before you, before your word and before your spirit. For you have exalted your word above all your name. And this morning as we are here in your house, help us also in our hearts and our minds to exalt your word above everything with what we have come here. Our circumstances, our feelings, our issues, our problems, our health, whatever it is, Lord, we lift your word above it all. And we pray, Spirit of God, come, Lord. Because you said in your word, I watch over my word to perform it. Help us to watch over your word. That it may not go void in our lives, but it will come to pass. In each one's life, Your word brings forth light, life, and fruit, O Father, for your glory. Speak to us. Speak to us. Let every spirit of distraction, every spirit that is not of you, let every one of them leave this place. Let there be an anointing in your house to hear the word of God, O Master, today. To understand it. To receive it meekly. Your word says to receive meekly the engrafted word that it might work in us. Let there be meekness in each one of our hearts today, Lord, before your word. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week um, we looked at God's promise to Israel as we begin another new year. We begun another new year, the tenth year in our journey as a church, this body. In our personal lives, it may be more or less, but as a body, we began our tenth year. And there was something which God was telling Israel in Isaiah 43 and words. 18 to 19, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What looks impossible in our eyes, God says, I will do it. Many who have come probably today looking at things, that are almost for you in your eyes impossible. But God says, don't look back. Change your focus. Change your focus. Learn from the past, but don't look to the past. Don't be a prisoner to either your past failures or your past successes. Okay, children, all those who did well in class 10, praise God. That's not going to help you in class 12. That's a different exam altogether. Okay? You cannot dwell on your past success saying that automatically I will go through because in the past I went through. No. So don't dwell on your past failure or success. Learn from them. Learn from your mistakes. Be encouraged by the way success came, but don't hold on to it. Focus. Don't lose focus. You need to have a goal. You need to have a purpose. Most people, just like I said last Sunday, just live life 
but they don't have any purpose. If you ask them what is the purpose of in your life, it's just basically survival mode. Eat, drink and be merry. Who knows what happens tomorrow. Beyond that, and they are not even merry. After that, they have a hangover. No? Survival mode. Or others just go after success. Or we looked at the third one as significance. But today we are looking further, okay? So what is your goal? What is your purpose? Is this only horizontal in this world? Or is it also vertical, connected with God? If your goal is only horizontal, then maybe you will achieve it. Maybe you may do good. But after that, what? That's what the issue with the Old Testament saints. All their goals were horizontal. It was not vertical. Just a few, just a few understood the purpose, the vertical purpose of God. Most of them, they loved God, served God. But when this horizontal goal was achieved, after that they didn't know what to do. And you will see they spent years of their life with nothing basically doing in the kingdom. Primary example is Noah. And if you look at how many years Noah lived, I forgot, I think over 900 or 800 years he lived. But he achieved his horizontal goal by the age of 600. Or, yeah, 600. And after that, what do you see? He didn't know what to do. There's no vertical goal. So he plants a vineyard, drinks, gets drunk, exposes himself, curses a generation, and his life goes that way. Abraham too, as long as the purpose was there, he was, he was there. Purpose is achieved. His faith is perfected according to James. He even had the son, the promised son, put away all the others and he got the son married. Everything is settled now. Wife is dead. Goes and marries a third time. No purpose, what to do? And another six nations will come which will go against actual God's purpose in his life. That is why I said if you are only focused horizontally and even if you succeed, it still will not make much of a difference in eternity. It may make a great difference on earth. What is the difference on earth? You will have your trophies and whenever people come you will say you know what. But if you look at it, all your conversation is in the past. We have nothing about today. What do you today? Uh, I wake, woke up late because, you know, uh, my knees hurt. And what did you do? I think I had breakfast. I cannot even remember it. You have nothing for today. Everything is connected with the past. But the men of God, if you look at them in the new covenant, till the last day, those who understood, they had something to tell about what God was doing through them and in them. Because their goal was vertical and not horizontal alone. So understand that. Understand. Because the Old Testament saints, were, like I said last Sunday, were consumed with an earthly goal. Canaan, promised land, restoration of the kingdom. And their reference points was always David and Solomon. What are the reference points? David and Solomon. When it came to faith, the reference point was Abraham. And Jesus said, God is my father. They said, what? Your reference point is there? We don't believe it. In the new covenant, though Abraham is the father of our faith, 
He is not the father of our spirit. Our reference point has changed. Understand. So the new covenant focus changed. It is the kingdom of God. Purpose changed. It is not limited to a small piece of real estate in the Middle East called Canaan. It is the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. And you shall preach the gospel where? In Jerusalem, witness in Judea, summary and the ends of the earth. He says there is no limits to your purpose. There is no limits. The upward call of God and the horizontal purpose. Understand this too. The upward call of God is what we miss on. The conformity with Christ. This one is often forgotten in Romans 8, 20 and 4 verses I will give you from the new covenant about what is God's goal in you and me. For whom he foreknew, everyone sitting here, he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That when we finish this, we should all end up like Jesus. That's the purpose. So we go through a lot of stuff which the world doesn't understand. Lot of pain, lot of suffering, lot of trials, lot of testing, and we will be saying, Lord, you are the most powerful God, you are the living God, and you are my Father, why are you not getting me out of it? He says the simple thing is that, don't you understand my purpose? My purpose is not to get you out of trouble, but through the trouble, make you more and more like my son. And if you don't become like that, I will keep you there until you become. Okay? Until you become. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In Every spiritual blessing. And you will say, wow, I've been blessed. God says, yeah. Every, every. But where? In heaven, not on earth. In earth, if you want it, it's like withdrawing. Yeah. On earth, if you want to withdraw it, then understand purpose. What is all these blessings for? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. He says, if you understand my purpose, that I want you to be holy and blameless before me, you can withdraw every blessing from heaven. It will come to you. But if you don't understand, then... When you try to withdraw, you will see there is a block on your account. It's not coming. Because this is not a bank ATM. This is the father's treasury. Purpose. Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image of Christ from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When you look in the mirror, do you see that? No. When I looked this morning in the mirror while shaving, I found even my eyebrows have got gray hairs. I don't see glory. But this is something that is happening Inside, it's happening inside and should happen inside. Being transformed into the same image. Whose image? Image of Christ. In his during his entire life on earth, only once did Jesus show to his disciples his glory inside. 
is took three separately, went up to the mountain and said, want to take a peek of what I have become inside? Want to see? I'll open your eyes for a second and see what is the glory. And they couldn't face it. God says, one day I will reveal your glory. Will it be like a firefly? Forty years in the church and God says, okay, I give up. Now let me reveal the glory of my son in you, one little firefly. Don't take it lightly. Scripture says it very clearly in the book of Daniel and in the book of Corinthians. As stars differ in glory, so will the saints. Everybody won't have the same glory. It depends upon how. That is when the whole world will see us as we are. And when some saints are bright like the star, some will be like fireflies. All our children. So understand purpose. Don't ever forget the vertical purpose of God. Philippians chapter 3, 20 to 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body account, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. He says, don't worry about your body. On that day, even this body will be transformed. Because much of our time goes in what? What to eat? What to drink? What to wear? God says, don't worry. Let's go to do his body. That day, in an instant, God will transform this body also. So put it at the back burner. That's not purpose. That is not your goal. So there is purpose. In God saving us. This is God's purpose in our redemption. This is the desire of our true father, our heavenly father. To have a family of children conform to the image of his firstborn. Image of his firstborn. Okay, He sent him not only to redeem us, but also to show us a way. And that's why he said, I am the way. And then to go read Peter chapter 2, you will see Peter will say, he has shown us a way. Follow that way. In that way is where this work will happen. So today, God is a father. We are all the children. And his purpose is to conform us to the image of his firstborn. And who is the firstborn? Jesus Christ. Can everybody just for physical, because we are physical beings, look up and say, Happy Father's Day. He's the real father. This is his day. Every day is his day, but especially there's no father like him. Happy Father's Day, Dad. So purpose, understand, twofold, can be put very simply in the process, whatever we do. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. In your office, in your classroom, everything. Try to make disciples. Second, be a disciple. Make disciples. Be a disciple. One is doing. The other is being. Okay, one is doing. The other is being. One is the role of a servant, the other is the role of a son or a daughter. One is the role of a servant. So it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody will address David king, 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 but God will call David my servant. Okay, Jesus is the very son of God, but when he comes on the earth, he says, I am the servant of the father. 
Okay, so one role is the role of a servant, the other is the role of a son or a daughter. When we keep these two things in balance, we can study and understand scripture. I'm telling you, if we don't have this at the back of our mind, doesn't matter how much we read, we will not understand scripture. We will read it like a book. Read it like a book. Unlike every other book in the, in the world, like the, the clo- I mean, there's no comparison in the world, but let's talk about one of the heavy texts in the world is Shakespeare. You read Shakespeare, you teach Shakespeare. But even if you read Shakespeare and teach Shakespeare, after some time, it becomes ridden. How deep can you go into Shakespeare? After some time, it's okay. I've taught Shakespeare, so I know. Not, after some time, it's the same thing over and over again. But I've been studying and teaching from this for over 30, 35 years. It surprises you every day the depth of the word of God. Depth of the word of God. Depth. And when you listen to different preachers, and you see where they bring it up from the same word, you understand the depth of God's word. Because it is connected with life. It is connected with purpose. Do you remember if you were there for the LTD anniversary a week back? Do you remember the young man preaching? He said one fundamental thing in his entire message if you couldn't forget. Children of Israel, when they had to be taken out of Egypt, like most people, to be taken to the promised land, first God has to make them so miserable in the world, otherwise they will never leave. Most people will complain about pain, sickness, suffering. If that hadn't come, you wouldn't have even listened to the voice of God and come to church. Israel had to be so miserable in their slavery in Egypt. Then they cried out and said, Lord, send a savior. It took God 400 years before they could move their mind out. Then to keep them on moving, he had to promise them houses, which they did not. Because if you told them you have to go there and build houses, they will say, no, we are not coming. So I will give you houses which you did not build, wells which you did not. If you have told them, okay, I'll give you house, but you have to dig wells, they will say, no, there is a river here, we are used to rivers all our life, you have to dig wells, we are not coming. Houses which you did not dig, wells which you did not um, build, wells which you did not dig, and gold and silver, everything, so they moved. That's how people are moved in the kingdom. But what the young man said was that, When Nehemiah, who has reached so high in his secular career, the cupbearer to the king, heard the state of the promised land and the state of Jerusalem, he's broken, he's weeping, he's crying, he's fasting to leave the ambience and the luxury of Babylon to go back to that broken city. Simply because that city has the name of his God. What Moses? He has achieved his horizontal goal. He cannot go higher than that. But he's moved by a vertical goal. That city, O oh Lord, is your name. The walls are down, the gates are burnt. And what am I doing here in this secular job? What am I doing here? So understand, you can have a horizontal goal, but sometimes you forget the vertical goal is much more. The call of God is Much, much, much more. So if you don't have that, what will be? You know, you you know that 
US history when they moved from coast to coast, what made whole set of people kept on moving because they were thought of a will go till the land, become farmers, but a whole lot of people were moving because they heard there was gold. So everywhere in the rivers in California and all, there were gold diggers. They will come from morning to night, panning through the water, the sand to get one nugget. Gold diggers. What are they doing from morning to night? Find a nugget of gold. What are they? Gold diggers. And when your heart is in the world, there are a lot of Christians who are gold diggers. What are they looking for? One promise. One promise. Which I can apply. One promise. One. Pro- They're gold diggers. They're not seeking after the person of Christ. Don't be a gold digger. Promises are all true. But don't be a gold digger. Because life is in the kingdom is much, much bigger. So we have two choices in this. The two choices are very clearly defined by God in 2 Corinthians 5-7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We have two choices in this world. If your goal is only horizontal, you will pick up, the, you, I'm talking to Christians, you will pick up the promises of God, but apply it by sight. It is not faith. Apply it by sight. But if your goal is both horizontal and vertical, I want to fulfill the purpose of God in my life. I want to be made conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. Then God says, you can only walk by faith. There is not an option. For we walk by faith, not by sight. It does not say we walk sometimes by faith and sometimes by sight. No options are given. Either faith or sight. When you are walking by faith, we believe everything we see. When you are walking by faith, we believe everything God says. That's the difference. What is the difference between faith and sight? When you are walking by sight, you and I believe everything that we see, we hear, we sense. When you walk by faith, you believe everything that God says. So we go all, we keep going. The question is, we don't have full understanding. But the question is, will we trust God and keep going? God did not tell the children of Israel everything. And he will not tell you and me everything. It's only after years of journey when they came and those spies came back, they heard there are giants and fortified cities in this land. Oh my gosh, God never told us this when we left Egypt. So what is this you told us? Houses you didn't build? Wells which you did not dig? So what is it? It was uninhabited lands of houses? No, there are people there. You didn't use your mind? Will you? God is not going to show everything because he knows us. Let's say he looks at Peter and Peter says, Lord, I am strong, Lord. Please reveal my future to you. And he says, okay, Peter, in three years time you will get married. Four years time you will be going through the biggest conflict in your life. Your wife will want to leave you and take the children with her. Your children, probably most of them will go into drug addiction. A wife will go with another man. He says, Ayyo, Amma, I don't want to get married. If God were to show all of us what was lying in the future, do you know, we would have never taken that route. But God says, in the root was your sanctification. And I had chosen it for you. I'm not talking about our sin. 
I'm talking about the route God had chosen for us. Are you getting the picture? God doesn't show. All we can do is trust God and keep moving with Him. Question is, now let's come back to focus. Question is, when you're faced with a crisis in life, what is your focus? Is your focus on the person of God and His promises? Or is your focus on the problem? What is your focus? We now talked about a goal and a purpose. Yes, goal is nice, purpose is nice, focus is nice. But remember, there are going to be giants on the way. And when you meet your giant or your mountain, what do you do? What will you focus? Will you focus on the mountain and start SMSing everybody how tall your mountain is? How big your problem is? How huge the giant looks? Or you will look at what did God say? What did? No, don't worry about what God did not say. Most people try to focus on what God did not say. Don't worry on that. What did God say? That's the major crisis Israel faced after coming into the desert, Kadesh Barnea. God said, I am giving you a land flowing with milk and honey. Parallel for us, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life in abundance. But he did not tell them there would be giants in the land, that it would be occupied and you are supposed to fight. No, he didn't tell any of those things in the beginning. So focus on what God has said. The problem you and I face is not the real problem. Our real problem is what will be our response to our problem. Many of you students sitting over here will say, maths is very difficult for me. That's not your problem. What are you going to do about maths? You are seeing math as the problem. That's not the problem. That's not the problem. Math is not the problem. The problem is what is your response to math? Math can be cracked with hard work. It's just science. Science, any subject can be cracked. Because it is science. There are methodology of studying science. With that you can crack. It's not difficult. It is difficult. There is hard work involved. But you made math into a mountain. That's not the mountain. The mountain is basically your response. Will you decide I'm going to wake up an hour, and I'm going to trouble somebody who is willing and say, you teach me this and I'm willing to put in the effort until I crack it. Our response is the problem. It's not the problem that is the problem. The problem is we see our problem as problem. Will we respond by sight? Or will we respond by faith? Because scripture says, You and I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Scripture says all things are possible to him or her who believes. But when Israel heard that report in Numbers, when they came in, their response is always this, Numbers 14 and verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Did really God bring you thus far to kill you? 
Then he could have killed you in Egypt, right? The problem is, what are you focusing on? The problem or the promises of God? God allows us situations to test us so that through battle, the battle of faith, we may overcome and grow in strength. That's why Paul says the good fight of faith. It's a good fight. Those who have never fought have never tasted victory. And God says, I don't know anything further. I have told you already, you are all more than conquerors. How can you be a conqueror without a battle? That has been prophesied by God over every son and daughter. You are more than conquerors, meaning, that's my promise. You are going to face battle after battle after battle after battle. Not only that, along with, I promise you, victory after victory after victory after victory. How? In Christ Jesus, God takes you triumphantly, victoriously in Christ Jesus, always. So the question is, what are you focusing on will determine your response. Today we will look at a very, very familiar portion from Bible. Okay? First Samuel 17, 24. They are facing a giant. His name is Goliath. He's huge. He's a giant. Don't make me into a pygmy. Eyes of faith doesn't matter when you look at the eyes of faith, your problem starts shrinking. No. The problem is still the problem. If it shrinks like that, then everybody would try to get those spectacles of faith. I can make my problem shrink. That is magic. That is not faith. This is a huge guy. It's a massive guy. The problem is, scripture says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled. All the Men of Israel, what did they? They saw and they ran. That is their response. They saw and they ran. They saw their problem and what did they do? They ran for their lives. And if you listen to their response, if I am right, it's in the next verse, 25. Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely has come up to defy Israel and it shall be that. Okay, have you seen? Have you seen this man? Which day are they saying this? On the 40th day. Meaning, this problem is not going to go away. Some of you are like ostriches. You know what the ostrich is saying? It's not true. It hides its head in the sand and thinks the problem will go away. It is not going to go away. These are spiritual battles which have to be fought And one, you cannot wish it away. It's not going to go away. You have to face it. You have to fight it. You have to overcome it. You have to defeat it. And then it's out of the way. And when you are relaxing, boy, I got it. The next one pops up. You read scripture, you will see Goliath had brothers too. He's not going to go away. Are your eyes on the problem? It's not going to go away. Then steps in a young man. We know that young man in verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? One group is saying, Look at him! Another man says, Who is he? 
Same problem. The problem is the same. The giant is the same. The issue you are facing is the same. Two people may be facing the same issue. But they look at it differently. One says, look at him. And they run. The other one says, who is he? Who is he? Like I said, it's a real problem. It's not a small problem. Bible is very clear in 17.5. It says, he's huge. Helmet on his head, armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brown. When we hear shekels, we started shaking. That is 57 kilos in today's. That is his coat. His coat was my weight. I'm 57, 58. His coat was 57 kilos. Can you imagine David's weight must have been Goliath's coat's weight. So God says, in your battle, the weight of the enemy doesn't matter. In 17.7, it says, the staff of his spear was a weaver's beam. His iron spear head weighed 600 shekels, 7 kilos. The spear head. How many kilos? 7 kilos. Why is this graphics given over there? It's what different does it make? It does make God is showing us the nature of the spiritual battle we are in. Don't underestimate the power of the enemy. He's big, he's fierce, he's powerful. And he says, if you see with your eyes of faith, all you can do is run away. Goliath was truly big and he was truly heavy and he was truly powerful. In 1733, testimony, Saul said to David, who is telling David? The king is telling David, who is the tallest man in Israel is the king. The tallest man in Israel is telling David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him for you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. What is the comparison? You are a chota ladka and he is a fighter from his youth. You can't. You can't. So God says, this is not Dutch courage. Don't be foolish thinking you can fight the powers of darkness, the problems you are facing by sight. Because these demons are centuries and centuries old. They are warriors from ancient days. They have dealt with generation after generation after generation, finished them off. And you think you can tackle them, you cannot. Only by faith. Only by faith. Not by sight. He's big, really, really big. But the question is, only by physical sight. The devil always tries to intimidate by size, by magnitude, knowing that we are sensory creatures. We see, we hear, we feel, we are intimidated and we run away. God's answer is not sight. It is only faith and faith alone. First, we have to learn to see everything from God's perspective. Faith does not grow automatically. It is given by God when you are saved, but doesn't grow automatically. It needs a climate to grow in. It is given when Israel is about to enter into the promised land. God talks about a climate in which faith grows. Remember, without faith, you and I will never win. 
He told them, you're going into a land with fortified cities and massive giants. But you can win every battle. Condition is this. Joshua chapter 1, 6 to 8. You shall rem... Yeah, Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and of good courage, for this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which was sore their forefathers to them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from to the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8. Meditate. Yeah, next verse. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in a day and night that you may observe to do according to all that it is written. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. He didn't even tell them the size of Jericho and the kings and the battle. He says, you know what, don't worry about that. I'll give you one first condition. Meditate upon my word day and night, meaning let my word define how you see things. Two, be careful to obey my word. You cannot be defeated. Powers of darkness cannot defeat you if you walk by faith and you have the obedience that comes from faith. You cannot be defeated. Second thing, in principle, you learn about Israel now. Joshua, do you know why I brought you through this way? Deuteronomy chapter 8, 2 to 3. And you shall remember the Lord your God led you. These 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years where? Led you 40 years in the wilderness. First Kings chapter 17 verses 2 to 4. All victorious people. Joshua generation is victorious. Another victorious man. Then the word of the Lord came to him. That is Elijah saying, get away from here. Turn eastward. Hide by the brook chariot which flows into Jordan. Luke 180, another mighty man called John the Baptist. So the child grew and became strong in the spirit, was in the desert, still the day of his manifestation to Israel comes out of the desert. And then this young man called our young David, 1 Samuel 17 and verse, verse 15. David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. What do these four words, four situations tell you? God says, meditate upon my word day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Do not turn to the left or right, meaning in your thought life, in your word life, and in your walk, it should be defined by the word of God. Second thing, stay away from the world when you don't have to. Because the world is directly opposite to the word. This is the key. Think about any young person over here. If you got a chance to serve in the king's palace, how many would you go back to the wilderness every time you got a chance? Nobody would. They will say, wow, God made me, God opened this door for me, I am now. That's how people say, when they go to places where there is so much luxury and prosperity, thank you Lord, thank you Lord. Two months later, three months later, church is gone, everything is gone, they are also gone. This man is not there in the palace because he is hired as a servant. He is in the palace because he is needed there because the king has the problem and only he can handle it. So he is there. But every time he gets a chance, he goes back to the wilderness. 
Because he understands the secret of his faith. He knows faith has an atmosphere where it grows. One, it is in the word. Second, it is away from the world. It's a decision each one personally makes. Focus. You're very focused. I have to allow this to grow. I have to fight my battles. Yes, I have to go into the world. But the minute my work is finished in the world, I'm not staying there. doesn't matter how good the world is. How luxurious the world is. How comfortable the world is. It doesn't matter. I prefer the presence of God in the wilderness to the comfort of the palace. I'm going back to the wilderness. Can we? Do we have discipline like that, young people? Even, even for young people to wake them up. Young people. Focus. Let me tell you about focus. Because can you have that kind of discipline? There was a young man. He loved playing cricket. And he was very good in cricket at school. So, the rule is, his coach has told him, you have to practice. Never miss practice. One day, his school was playing with another school. So he took his tiffin dabba and went to cheer his team. Then he went to cheer in this team. The coach was there. And after everything, game was over, the coach told him. Coach knew everything. He said, did you go for the practice? He said, no. I came to cheer my friends. He gave you one slap on his face. And he said, focus on what you have to do so that one day, instead of cheering for others, others will cheer for you. That young man says, that one, he called it an uppercut. He says, that uppercut changed my life. And that was Sachin Tendulkar. And for a generation, a billion people cheered for him because his coach told him, don't lose focus. Even in the world, the greats have become great because they were told not to lose focus. You want secular examples? I can give you. You want secular examples? I can give you. Another century, another time, a young school, classroom, maths problem. It's on the blackboard. Nobody is able to solve it. And the teacher said, nobody can and nobody is able. The school is over. The teacher has gone. And then... School is shut. Everything is over. One child hasn't come back home. The mother is panicking. Comes to school. School is shut. Goes to the schoolmaster. Comes, gets him. Opens the school. Opens the classroom. The little boy is fallen asleep on the desk. And when they hear the sound, he woke up. He saw his mother. He saw his teacher and said, Sir, I solved it. That boy was Napoleon. Greats are made because they were focused. Not because they were indisciplined. Focused even in this world. And if you think great people in this world were made because they were focused, do you think the saints of God will be called good and faithful servants without focus? Our call is a greater call than anything that can be achieved in this world. Focus. Focus. Ask Abraham, how old are you? So many hundred, hundred. What are you doing? Moving. What are you doing? Moving. Aren't you rich? Yes. Aren't you the richest guy in this place? Yes. Why don't you build a house and settle down? He said, 
because it was told to me, you will not build a house, you will move through this land all the years of your life so that one day your descendants will possess this land. Therefore, even in my old age, I am focused, I am still moving so that one day my descendants can inherit. That's why Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are called dwellers of tents in the promised land so that one day the children would have houses which no one built. Focus. The devil will try to distract us from so many things because he knows God has given everyone a heavenly goal. Don't get distracted. Church, don't. Don't, young people, don't get distracted. You cannot feast your eyes in the world, fill your senses with the sights and the sounds of this world. World, I didn't say earth. I didn't say earth. Feast your eyes when you have time with the sights and the sounds of the earth. First thing in the morning at 3.30 in the morning, I heard was the sound of frogs in Hyderabad. And I said, wow, sounds like the good old days when I was in the mountains. Frogs. Feast on those sounds because those are all gods. IMAX is not from God. Mall is not from God. Shopping complexes are not from God. These are all man's creation. Don't feast your eyes on the TV and your gadgets and then try to hear the word of God. You won't be able to hear. That's why every man of God, every man of God, including the son of God, they were so focused that once their work was done, they went back so that they wouldn't fill their senses with these signs and sounds. Then, when trouble comes, you will be able to stand and be able to respond. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 15, we saw he came. And verse 26, David spoke to the men and stood by him. What shall be done for this man who kills this Philistine? First thing he said, he didn't see. How tall is he? How big? He says, wait a second. Isn't he a Philistine? Isn't he a Philistine? Is he a Jew? No. Who is he? He's a Philistine. Second, isn't he an uncircumcised Philistine? Does he have the mark of the covenant? Does he belong to our God? So why are you bothered about his eyes? It's the first thing he says. That's the first thing he says. Isn't he an uncircumcised Philistine? Does he have any influence with the living God? Now let me ask you this question. Do we have any influence with the living God? Are you circumcised? Romans 2. Let's go to the next one. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is his circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is in the heart, in the sp- that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, from... Is your heart circumcised? Is your heart circumcised? David's heart was circumcised. All of them, including David, is physically circumcised. But David's heart is circumcised. Is your my heart circumcised? Lord, how will I know my heart is circumcised? God says, you will know. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. You will know. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Who? Even there he said, I will circumcise your heart. You can check the circumcision of a heart by your passion for God. He will know. Simple. 
You can't get a no x-ray or scanning will show whether your heart is circumcised, but you will know whether you have still fire in your heart for this living God. You will know whether your heart is circumcised or not. David's heart was circumcised. His heart was zealous for God. And he looks at the same man which made everybody flee and says, who is this uncircumcised man that he dare defy the armies? Oh, you're all running away, you're all shaking, doesn't matter, armies of the living God. Doesn't matter. Your reaction is not going to determine my response. My response is determined by my eyes of faith. This man is uncircumcised. You are circumcised. He is defying God. That's all that matters. I will fight him. And victory is guaranteed. Because God will fight for us. How do we see? How do we see? Why was he able to see it differently? Because I believe that is the things he did. Meditate upon the word. And he's remained in the wilderness. Did not allow the palace to affect his senses. Palace to affect his senses. The most beautiful picture is given in two lines of the very son of man about Jesus. John chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple and taught. What is his pattern? Work over. Bye. And you should read, read, read that words about this. If I'm, it's right, 752 or 53. Everyone went to their home. Everyone went to their home. He had no home to go to. So he didn't choose to ask, will you take me to your home? He went to the mountain, spent time with his father, probably wrapped his robe around him and slept in the garden, got up in the morning, continued his father's work. Focused. Everyone went to his own house. The son of man did not have a house. So he went to the mountain. Mountain. Think how focused Jesus is. Absolutely, absolutely focused. So be focused. Eyes of faith only can bring victory in our lives. Whether it is a small child battling Hindi and Telugu and maths. Or an older person facing turmoil in your home or in your workplace. It doesn't matter. It's only faith that brings victory. And faith has a ground in which it grows. Conditions have to be met. Second, when you are standing up in faith, don't be discouraged by the words of flesh. The minute you stand up by faith, faith, you will understand what flesh is. As long as you're walking in flesh, you will not understand what flesh is. Because all they all look the same, mama, kancha, all brother, sister. Okay? But the minute faith stands up, Jesus says, I bring a sword. You will know suddenly what is flesh, what is of spirit. Suddenly you will know. Don't get discouraged by the words of flesh. 17.28 Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, Why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart. Poor fellow, did he say anything? He just stood there by faith looking at the situation and says, I will fight. First response is from his oldest brother. You insolent fellow. You proud fellow. Why did you come here? Suddenly, when you stand up in faith, the first voice of opposition will rise often from your own family. Jesus 
His brother said. You want to be known? Everybody who wants to be known publicly, then you should be like 21st century preachers. Get all the posters down, get all this truck with your picture and your wife's picture hanging like this and go around and call a meeting. That's what they told him. Go and show yourself Jerusalem. He said, no. My time has not come yet. You want to show me to Jerusalem for publicity, I will go to Jerusalem at your father's appointed time to die. Mother and brothers came out. Meeting is full. They're standing outside and sending word inside. Come out. Your mother and your brothers are waiting. He looked at them and said to the people who said, Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Everyone who does the will of God is my family. Not that. It is this. Because flesh will rise to pull you out of the purpose of God. He's not dishonoring his mother. He's just telling a fact. Mom, if you are really my mother, I know you are really my mother, but if you really understood what spiritual eyes of faith, you wouldn't be outside, you would be sitting inside and listening to me teach. You should ask Mary, 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 didn't the angel Gabriel visit you? Yes, didn't he give you all this word? Don't you know this is the son of God? Don't you know what happened at the age of 12? Don't you happen when you dedicate him at the temple? Don't you know all this? Yes, and then how come you are not listening to his word? Are you the one who prophetically sang when he was conceived, I rejoice in the Lord God, my Savior? Yes, and what happened to you now? Is it written anywhere in the Bible his mother was in a meeting? It is written. After he rose from the dead, she was sitting with the apostles, praying, fasting, Holy Spirit comes, then she becomes his witness. Not before. Voices of flesh will come, powerful voices, because you stood up in faith. Verse 33. Next voice. Very powerful voice. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine. Who is this? The king. Who? The king. No, you can't. You can't. You are a youth. You can't fight this man. And he is a warrior. And finally, verse 42. The Philistine looked about and saw David. Where? Where are you? Disdained him. Despised him. Why? Because he was only you. Everybody is looking with the eyes of sight. Brother said, foolish fellow. Proud fellow. Insolent fellow. King said, you are a small fellow. This is a warrior. And finally the problem you have to face, look down and said, you can't handle me. Don't listen to those voices. The purpose of these voices is to make us lose focus. There will be tauntings, there will be temptations, so that you and I lose focus. Don't lose focus. Once there, now children are there, children like, children like, you know, you have to learn to obey God. Even in small things. Last, I, I slept in the church office last night and my, I told my wife, send me a shirt. She sent me a shirt. Then in the morning, I took this shirt and wore it. And the Lord was telling me, don't wear it because this is not cotton. You will sweat. And I didn't listen. I wore it because that was stuff like flesh. And now I am sweating and for the first time I need the fan. So even in small little things, listen to God because He knows the temperature which you don't know. And just thinking, you told me and I didn't listen to that. Okay. A group of frogs were traveling through the forest. And there was a pit. 
two frogs and that group fell into that pit. They were shouting and jumping and jumping and jumping and jumping and all the frogs stood around the edge and told them, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, give up, give up, you can't, it's too deep, it's too deep, it's too deep, it's too deep. One fellow finally listened to them, gave up and he died. The other fellow is jumping and jumping and these fellows are all shouting at him, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, finally he jumped out. And when he jumped out, he told them, thank you, thank you, thank you for encouraging me. But I couldn't hear a word because I am deaf. Learn to be deaf to the voices of the flesh. Learn to be deaf. Then when you reach heaven, you will see all these people who troubled you, tormented you, tortured you. And you go to them all and say, thank you brother, thank you sister, you brought me here. Like I said, Jesus only said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. What will be provided on the way? Brother Hammer and Sister Nails will be provided on the way. They will be all there and they will define your life. You look at David and you will see David's life is defined by his enemies. It is his enemies who made him who he is. So don't despise even them. Let them despise you, doesn't matter. Don't despise them. All these voices were telling David. What were they telling David? Look at you. That's what we all do. We look at ourselves. Our problem is when we look at ourselves, we say, I can't do it. On next to the mirror, we hang our degrees. I can't do it. All of them telling, look at you. There's one thing David refused to look at himself. He said, I'm looking at him. I'm not looking at myself. I'm looking at him. That's one thing David did not do. He did not look at himself. He looked at God. When you reach a crisis in your life, don't look at your crisis. Don't look at yourself. That is the time to look at God. That's what the writer of Hebrews, after giving an entire list of people who overcame through different kinds of situations, chapter 12, he'll says, you know what? Keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. Don't look at your problems. Yes, we need to handle our problems, but don't keep your eyes on your problems. Don't look at yourself, but look at Jesus. Now, if you look at it, third thing, the whole challenge had nothing to do with him. That's how you look at yourself and you realize it had nothing to do with you. His brother is saying, you are proud, you are insolent. The king is saying you are too small. And the enemy is despising him. But he didn't look at it that way. In 1 Samuel 17 verses 45 to 47, David said to the Philistine, you come with me to sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. My issue is this. My issue, Goliath, is not that you are a soldier. My issue, Goliath, is not even that you are a Philistine. Or an uncircumcised me, Philistine. My issue is this. You have defied my God. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Not that I will take you into my hands. No, the Lord will deliver me into your hands. I will strike you, take your head from you. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp, the Philistines, to the birds of the air and all the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. This is about God's glory. This is about God's glory. 
David says, by the time I'm finished with you, I promise you one thing. The whole land will know who David is. He says, no, that's not the point. The whole land will know there is a God in Israel. Let me ask you, what motivates you? What motivates you? What motivates you? Is it the glory of God? Or that everybody has to know me? That's what I ask young pastors. A lot of young ones come. What motivates you? Where do you get your picture from? From the TV? I want to be like, I come on a stage, the light is on me, and I move the light most with me, I move my hand, the first row falls down. Is that what motivates you? In my ministry, I want people after people after coming and giving testimonies about how they got healed in mind. Jesus, even when he raised the dead, told them, you know what? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Zip your lip. Don't go. Don't tell. Don't tell anybody. What motivates us? His eyes were on God's glory. And his confidence is in God's strength. Question is, what is our focus? What is our eyes on? What is our confidence on? Does the glory of God drive us? Or is it our name? Because in our name also great things can be done. Remember how Babylon is built. Let us come together and build a city and make a name for ourselves. Name for ourselves. Churches also become like that. The name becomes more important than Christ. This is our church. This is our denomination. This is our traditions. And we will fight if you try to change it. But Christ says that doesn't align with the word. Uh, Don't you? Twenty years ago, sitting with a young Naga pastor from the Baptist church. And he kept asking me, where do you get your knowledge from? Where do you get your anointing from? I said, because I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He says, what do you mean? I said, it means exactly what is written in the book of Acts. I've been baptized and I speak in tongues. He said, I was born a Baptist. I will die a Baptist. I will never believe in it. So it's your call. You know what he is today? He's a drug addict today. Because he didn't believe in the power of God that would have served him even in ministry and setting himself free. That's what happens. We believe something which may not align with the word of God and then we start defying it. God says, be careful. It's not the glory of God that drives us. From the beginning till the end, we will see David is consumed by his passion for Christ. In 1726 when he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? First thing he says, I want to take this reproach from Israel. I'm concerned about the name of the God of Israel. I want to take this reproach out. I don't want this reproach here. That's his fight. And he convinces Saul precisely because of that. He said, you know what? God can. God can. In 1736 he will say, so Saul clothed David with armor and put, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised will be like one of them. Seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Very simple. He says, Lion came, bear came, Philistine came. 
when he came against a lion came against my father's flock i rescued my father's flock when the giant comes again my heavenly father's flock i will rescue the flock from the giant is both the same because in both cases they were defying my father's will father's day this father's day do you see your father's will has more important than anything else in your life and god was hurt he loved this man this man loved god and his issue with david was that when bethsheba took place he said why did you do that david if you wanted women i would have given you all these concubines why did you take a married woman and bring disgrace to my name you knew it better you loved me i am more hurt by you than the rebellion of saul that guy never loved me he never cared for me but you do you do you're very zealous for my name my glory that's what god is talking about look in the light about how we relate to god this is not about works this is a result of a genuine relationship with god God is saying no no your strength no your weakness in first samuel 17:38 to 40 Saul clothed David with his armor he put a bronze helmet on his head clothed him with a coat of mail David fastened his sword to his armor tried to walk for he had not tested them and David said to Saul I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them so David took them off Then he took his staff in his hand he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and its sling in his hand he went to meet the philistine people will have many ideas how you should do your personal ministry they will try to put your armor on you and helmet on you and big, give you a sword which is bigger than you what does it mean the two things we need to know one you and i need to know our strength and our strength comes from god and in what we have confidence in you and i need to know our weaknesses need to know our weaknesses we sometimes are not aware of our weakness we try to do so many things which we should never do we need to know our weakness we need to know our strength in John chapter 1 verses 19 to 23 is this sanctified man who comes out now this is the testimony of John what is his testimony this should be our testimony does everybody want a testimony have a testimony now let me tell you about the final prophet of the old testament and his testimony as recorded in the bible when the jews sent priests and levites from jerusalem to ask you who are you and he confessed and did not deny but confessed i am not the christ they asked him who are you he doesn't say who he is he tells them first who he is not who he is not when somebody comes and asks you something about the church first thing you have to say is i am not the pastor please go check with him and not give counsel know who you are not first know you who you are not i am not the christ next verse and they asked him are you elijah he said i am not elijah too are you the prophet that is promised in the old testament he said no i am not that either then they said then who are you 
Who are you? That we may go back and give an answer to those people who sent us. And he tells them, the voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. He said, it doesn't matter who I am. The only thing that matters is what my message is. And the message is not about myself. My message is about the one who is coming. Know who you are and who you are not. We are nobody. What we are, we are voices in this world which should be a wilderness for us proclaiming the name of the one who is coming back again. That's what who we are. Otherwise we are no different from the world. The world is after a name. The world is after a fame. The world is after money. The world is after a reputation. The world is after all these things. And scripture says, Jesus said, all these things are an abomination to God. What are we after? I just want to be a voice of God. I am not. I am not. I am not. I am not. I am. A voice. Just a voice. Just a voice. And when a better voice than mine comes, please, I'm happy. Because I'm just a voice. I'm not a name. If you are a name, then oh, he's a threat to my name. I have no name. I'm just a voice. So when he hears a voice better than his voice, he looked at them and when they tried to make him envious, he said, no, 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 no. I must decrease. He must increase. Because that was the purpose of my life, to point to the one who was coming after me. Focus is all connected with that. Do we see life that way? We need to know both what we are in Christ and what we are not. What we are not. God is also not asking us to fight with what you don't know and don't have. Because our confidence is not in these things. These are just skills at God's disposal. God, David's confidence was in God. The writer in the passage mentions about the sling and the stone. Goliath in contempt will talk about the stick. But David will never mention either his staff, his sling or his stone. He doesn't mention that. He will only mention God. Many times this has happened to me during pastor's conference. A couple of people will come and tell me, Pastor, I can translate for you. I said, okay. No, my English and my Telugu are excellent. I know the actual scriptural and Sanskrit origin of Telugu words. I'm not looking at any of this thing. I said, yes, 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 no. He's basically saying I can translate better than the one. And I look at him and I actually tell you, no, thank you, thank you. But I will tell you why I like him. He's very humble. He's very humble and I love him. Very humble. Now, Nate never thought that as a qualification for translating. That's our problem. Our confidence is neither in slings or sticks. Our confidence is in God. Everybody looked down at Saul did not say anything because he's so desperate. Goliath looks at him and says, he cannot believe it. Israel has sent a champion. It's such an insult. First, it is a boy. Second, to see him, I have to stand on my tiptoes. Third, he's coming with a stick. 
He gets so offended. Flesh is so offended. What do you think? I am a dog that you come against me with a stick. Flesh gets offended. First Corinthians chapter 1, 27 and 29. That's why God says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Here is Goliath standing. He is something that is. Nine feet tall. My gosh, my armor is 57 kilos. The tip of my spear is 7 kilos. Nobody can fight me. If you can defeat me, we will go. If we defeat you, you have to serve us. What good terms, right? You defeat us, we will go. Not that we will serve you. But if we defeat you, you have to serve us. And he's challenging 40 days, nobody. And God picks a fellow who is weak, who is despised, and who is a nobody, and says, you know what? You go, my boy, and I will have glory through this. The funniest thing is that Christians are busy trying to be wise and strong, mighty, and they want to become, have a reputation so that they can serve God. God says, don't you realize these are disqualifications in the kingdom? I'm looking for a man who will say, I am foolish, Lord. I am weak, Lord. I am despised, Lord. Good, 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 good. I'm waiting, 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 waiting. Waiting. That was Moses at the age of 40. Mighty man. Scripture records in Acts 7.22. Mighty in words, mighty in dudes, commander of the Pharaoh's army. I am the one God has chosen. God said, I didn't choose you. I chose you, but your qualification, you're disqualified. Your resume is too good. But useless in the kingdom. Another 40 years he waited. What did he do 40 years? <coughs> 40 years. Then he sees the fire. Then he turns and goes. He says, Moses, Moses, you remember me? Of course I remember you. Take your sandals off, stand over there. God says, I have chosen you. You have chosen me now? Yes. I cannot speak. I cannot do anything. I can't do anything. God said, exactly. That's why I have chosen you. Now we can go together. Our problem is this. God says, I am looking for one man, one woman who will acknowledge before me, I am foolish, I am weak, I am base. I have no reputation. No reputation. Even God's own son scripture is written, made himself of no reputation so he could be used by his father, kingdom principle. Even for the son, made himself of no reputation. On the other hand, here, if our reputation is just a little, we get so upset. You getting the picture? Oh Lord, he's so good. That's the little David coming out of the wilderness, carrying roti for his brothers. That's why he came. Even his father, after all these trips to the palace, thought he was only good for carrying food. Hey! In Nepal, you call him Kancha. Kancha means younger son. Kancha is Okay, your brothers are there in the field. Go take it and see how they are. He's coming. But his father thought he's only good for that. What to serve bread? That is when he saw the Philistine. 
And he says, I will remove this disgrace from Israel. Are you willing? Are you willing? Stephen, Philip, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, they must have thought, oh wow, Peter, John, James is calling us to preach. They said, no, we need people to wait at the tables. Yeah, table. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Faithfully waiting at the tables for the widows. Come here. Full of wisdom. Full of Holy Spirit. What a humble, weak in the flesh. Feeding, 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 feeding. One day the Spirit says, Philip, come. But Peter said, come. Took him in the Spirit. <laughs> he becomes the Evangelist at Samaria. Little later you see Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin and giving a discourse starting with Adam and finishing with Christ. <gasps> Where did this man know all these things? Where did they begin? Where did they begin? Ask ourselves, can we be called in the church full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit and found waiting? Understand how the kingdom works. Don't get filled by TV preachers. David's weapons in the eyes of man looked very foolish. What? You're coming with your stick? Sling stone? First Corinthians chapter 10, 3 and 4. Oh, sorry, Second Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. Yes. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We walk in the flesh. Is David flesh? Yes. He's got a physical body. Is Saul flesh? Yes. Saul said, put a helmet, put a armor, take a sword. But David said, Laidu, not possible. I cannot. We do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but it has to be mighty in God. Any weapon that we fight has to be mighty in God. Can be mighty in God. Only in God. The weapons David is carrying looks foolish to Goliath and the Philistines. But they are mighty in God because his confidence is in God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those. God says, Lord, how are you going to save this whole world? Are you going to raise up an army? God said, no. How are you going to save? I will send a few people who will preach. (gasps) Foolishness of preaching? God said, that's a mighty weapon in my hand. It's through preaching and preaching alone people will be saved. Not by dance and choreo. That's why we have no dance and choreo here. All those who are dancing and choreo are still dancing in their houses. They never read their word. All these weapons of the flesh, smoke and light and dancing and this thing, nothing is needed. Worship, pray, word. It looks foolish to the fleshly eyes. Scripture says, God in his wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to saving those who believe. 
Ultimately to believe, a dance doesn't make you believe, a drama doesn't make you believe, music doesn't make you believe. It's the word that makes you believe. If you haven't heard the word, how will you believe? God is not entertaining his people, he is training his people for war. And war is coming, has come to many nations. And only those who were trained in war survived. That's why you get that daily devotion from me every day. It's about preparing you for war. It will come to this land too. It has come in many states. It will come here to question is, will you survive? Can you face when the Goliaths come and the Philistines come? Will you be able to see with eyes of faith and say, Lord, I stand in your strength. I stand in your strength. Because a man of flesh will try to substitute God's ways with the ways of flesh. But when the real, real test comes, all the song and dance will be just that, song and dance. What will be it? Song and dance. And then you will see the children of Israel in captivity and the Babylonians say, hey, you're all from Israel, right? Come here. Bring your harp and guitar and keyboard and sing some Israeli songs and dances for us. They said, we can't. We have hung our harps. Why? They only had, these people only had song and dance. They had no word. They had no word. Song and dance. At the same time by the river Chabar, there was another man seeing vision after vision after vision because he had the word and God said, took him to the valley of bones and says, Ezekiel, what do you see? Can these bones live? You know, Lord. He said, prophesy. Prophesy. Same set of people. Same river. How come one could only sing and dance and now they cannot sing while another man is able to prophesy over dead bones because that man had the word, word hidden in his heart. Word, word, by the foolishness of preaching, God says he's able to save those who believe. Those who believe. That's what God told Moses. Exodus 14 and verse 17. Take that rod in your hand. Take it. What is the rod of God? Resist this. He said, take this. Spiritually, this is the rod. In Psalm 138, verse 2, we don't have to turn there. God says, I have exalted my word above all my name. God says, above all your circumstances, lift the rod of God's word. And you will see sign after sign after sign from God to prove his word is true. That's why in Jeremiah 1.12, in NIV version, God says, I watch over my word to perform it. Moses what do you have? Nothing. Only this rod. He says, take this rod. With this, I will bring my people out. The God of Moses is your and my God. He still brings his people out only with this and nothing else. Only thing we have to learn, to lift the word above what we see. That's how David won over Goliath. Not because of superior strength, but because he learned to lift the word of God above what he saw. What you saw was real. And what you see and experience in life is also real. It is a giant. And he is nine feet tall. And he is heavy. He is immovable. And he will come day after day, morning and evening and challenge you. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you hear in your ears is his challenge. When you go to sleep, the last thing you hear is your challenge. And he will tell you, I have come with one and one purpose. You listen to me. You surrender. You will serve me. That's what the devil comes. I'll make you my slave. I'll make you my slave. 
And you cannot win this battle by human intelligence and boldness and strategies of the flesh. Only by lifting the word of God and the word of God. That's why God says, Joshua, Joshua, promised land is yours, I have given you. Enemies are many, I have told you, you can defeat them. One thing, meditate upon my word day and night. Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right. You will be victorious. New covenant, devil comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, but you can overcome every power of the enemy. Say, that is physical, this is spiritual. In First Samuel 17.40, you will see, the first thing he takes is not the sling or the stones. What is the first thing he takes? It's the staff. When you step out, what is the first thing that you take? What's the first thing that you take? When you woke up this morning, what is the first thing that you take, took in your heart? Is it the word of God? Or what will I eat? What will I wear? That's the first thing that he took. This, the first thing he picked was the rod, the staff, which represents the word of God. God has given us various gifts in the body. It doesn't matter what gift you use. That is like the sling and the stones. But your strength comes from this and this alone. David does not say in the shepherd's psalm, even when I walk through the valley of shadow of death, my sling and my stone will strengthen me. He doesn't say. He says, it's your rod and your staff. It is this that comforts me. I know your promises are A and Amen. I know your word is true. I know I can come through the very valley of shadow of death too. I know death, he says to Jonathan, death is just behind me. I am just one step ahead of death because your father is after my life. The army is after my life. The soldiers are after my life. I am just one step away from death. But even in that valley, I will not fear because I know who has called me. I know his promises and I'm going to lift his word about every situation that I go through. Learn now. Small things, big things. Lift. Yes, you will feel depressed. Yes, you will feel discouraged. Shake it off. And you can only shake it off with the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. And therefore, I will lift myself in the word. My confidence is in God. My strength is in God. That is what I will believe. Can we say? Do you know what Jacob will say? I ran. From my father's house one day. I ran from my father's house one day. Now look at me. I am two camps. This is what I have. This is what God has made me. But I remember from that day I ran to this day, last day. There is only one thing that is consistent in my land. It is my staff. It is my staff. You ask David. You ask, sorry, Jacob. Jacob, how old are you? 138. When did you leave your father's house? At the age of 40. From 40 to 138. Tell me one thing constant in your life. Is it Isaac? No, Isaac is dead. Is it Rebecca? Rebecca is dead. Is it Rachel? Rachel is dead. Is it your sons? No, they have all betrayed me. What is constant in your life? He will say, the stuff. That's what it's written in Hebrews 11 and verse 21, if I am right. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed all his sons. How? And worshipped, leaning on that same old staff. He stood and he worshipped. That's the word of God. From the beginning of our salvation, 
to our last breath on earth, learn to lean on the promises of God, on the word of God. Don't lean on anything else. Because there is nothing else that can take the weight of your troubles. The weight of your trials. The weight of your problems you are going through. Only this and this alone has that strength and the power to handle it. Nothing of flesh. You lean on your spouse, your spouse may break under pressure. You lean on your children, your children may abandon you. You lean on your office, your office may shut down. You lean on the government, the government may lock you up. But he is the only one who has promised, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will be with you till the very end. And I will take you across too. What do you lean on? What do you lean on? Good times or bad times. There is nothing wrong with methods. Whether it is a sword, spear, stone, sling. As long as our confidence is in God. And not in our methods. Our confidence should be in our God. Don't let your attention be drawn to methods. Finally what happens? The method becomes the God. If you have doubts. Look around the world, in every Catholic church, what has happened? Somewhere in the Middle Ages, different, different, one saintly church is gone, haywire, all heresy, blasphemy, everything happened. One saintly figure arises and he will bring a set of people back to God. Then he dies and after that they venerate him and make him into a saint. Now the people are going around the saint. What did you do? You exalted the method above God. Yes, they were all godly men. No doubt, many of them are really, really godly men sent by God to restore because God loves people. God loves people. But the problem is, we start worshipping the method and our confidence is no longer in God. Israel rebelled. They murmured. They grumbled. Snakes came and they were bitten. They're dying. And God told Moses, make a bronze serpent. Lift him up. Anybody who looks at the serpent, they will be healed. Meaning, Christ should be lifted up. He will break the power of the serpent. And anybody who looks at Christ by faith will be Moses lifted up. All those who looked by faith, they were healed. Time has passed. Next verse. Numbers 21, 9. Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. What happened after a few centuries? He removed the high places, Hezekiah, and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehustan. What has happened? The bronze serpent is now another god. Our fathers were healed by this serpent. Now they are burning incense. That is what happened. Send Jude, send this, send this, send this, lack candles, garlands, this thing. What have you done to God? What have you done to God? And of course the greatest of that is Mother Mary. Poor thing, when she conceives, she is crying, I rejoice in the Lord, my Savior. He will save me too. Now we have made her savior. Co-redemptress. That's her name. God uses various methods. Various methods. We don't worship the methods. 
we worship god god uses various ways means men women our confidence is not in them our confidence is in god and god alone that's why he tells joshua is scared he's terrified moses is dead then as all 40 years how easy it is to follow moses tang tang moses goes moses here just follow moses so easy right moses lifts the stick miracle takes place in one day moses is gone and i am in the front everybody is looking at me joshua what should we do you i don't know god comes and tells moses my servant is dead joshua don't be afraid as i was with moses i will be with you it was not moses who did all those things it was i who did it you walk with me i will walk with you people will come and go leaders will come and go our confidence is not in men our confidence is not in leaders our confidence is in god if our confidence is in men then i can reach only as far as the one i look at my father my teacher my mentor whoever it is you have an idol you will only go to you won't even even may not reach there but you won't go beyond that but if you eyes are on god you can go beyond that's what jacob says the mighty god of jacob his blessings are more than the blessings of all his ancestors i have overshot all of them because my eye was on god and not on my isaac and jacob abraham i love them i honor them but my strength comes from the god of jacob he doesn't even say god of abraham and isaac god of jacob keep your eyes fixed on christ jesus david's goal was very very clear in 1746 his goal is very very clear this day the lord will deliver you into my hands i will strike you take your head from you this day i will give the carcass of the camp of the philistine to the birds of the air the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth will know there is a god in israel i will do all these things for the purpose is this god will be glorified through my life at the end of the day god will be glorified in my life elijah's goal was very clear on mount carmel In 1 Kings 18 and verse 37 at the end before fire comes down he says hear me o lord hear me that this people may know that you are lord god i i don't want worship here i don't want attention on me i don't want people saying how great elijah is lord everything that is happening here for one purpose and purpose when everything is over everybody should know one you are the lord god two you have turned their hearts back to them there should be repentance there should be salvation at the end of every meeting It's not enough to lift the name of God. There should be a turning of hearts back to God, Lord, then I know I am successful. That's all. It's not about me. It's about you and your purpose in each life here. That's why, Lord, I am here. Is that our purpose? Jesus purpose was very clear in John chapter 17 verses 2 to 4 he says you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him this is my purpose you have given me authority and i want to give salvation to as many people as you have allowed into the kingdom and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god jesus christ whom you have sent if anybody wants to know the meaning of eternal life in the kingdom of god this is eternal life and words for i have glorified you on earth and i have finished the work which you have given me to do he didn't just say i finished my work he says no i have glorified you i have brought glory to you by the work i have done i haven't glorified myself 
have glorified you. My purpose was very clear. Salvation of man and the glory of God. Horizontal, salvation of man. Vertical, through it all, let my father receive glory. Purpose, goal, very clearly defined. Then it doesn't matter what you are doing. If that's what God called you to do, it doesn't matter. Whether you're a plumber or an electrician, auto rickshaw driver, it doesn't matter. Fulfill purpose. And at the end of the day, give God glory. Let God receive glory. One of the greatest musicians, composers, musicians, classical music was Bach. You have heard about Beethoven? This is Bach. This is what he wrote about music. All music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and soul's refreshment. Where this is not, remember, there is no real music. It is just a devilish hubbub. Got it? All musically inclined people with earpods and going, listen to what the great composer said. All music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God. As for a minute, the songs you listen to, does it glorify God? Does it really refresh? First you can't know, today's music, you can't even make out the lyrics, it's only sound. Which breaks your eardrums. That's what Bach said centuries ago. It is devilish music with no hubbub. Just a devilish hubbub. In all his compositions, music compositions, the top, he headed it with JJ. When he began his composition on it, it was written JJ, which means Jesus Jua, which means Jesus help me. That's how this great composer began every one of his music compositions. He wrote JJ at the beginning saying, Jesus help me. And at the end he wrote SDG, which in Latin is Soli Die Gloria, meaning glory to God alone. He begins his composition by saying, Jesus help me. At the end he finishes by saying, Lord to you and to you, glory alone. That's a life well spent. That's a life well spent. That's why they are truly great. Understand this. Both Philistines and Israel were watching David. Both the world and Christians are watching you and me. It's not just the world. When you go to your offices, the world is watching. The Christians also are watching. The Philistines were watching David. Israel was watching David. And his confidence was in God alone. And his desire was God's glory alone. The world and the church is watching us. Every one of you. Where is your confidence? What is your desire? The world needs David's. The church needs David's. For there are too many giants walking around. Too many giants. And we are all facing giants every day. Are you facing giants this morning? I want the worship team to come. Are you facing giants this morning? Whatever it is. Ask yourself this morning, how do you look at your problems? How do you? Some of you don't have real problems. You have a problem which is called self-pity. It's a big giant. 
Because I'm telling especially in this church. Because this church is full of single parents and orphans. And you tend to wallow in self-pity. That's the giant you have to overcome. You don't live on self-pity. It will kill you. And you'll be always offended. It's either poor me or woe unto me. No. No. That's a giant. Whatever giant you are facing, only you know. Only you know. Don't restrain God by your unbelief. Before this scene had happened, some time back, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 2 and 4, you will see this same king, Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him, about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an effort. But the people did not know Jonathan had gone. If you know history, it's a telling, telling, telling statement. If you read the previous verse, can we have the previous verse written and come back to this? So it came about on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul. On the day of battle, don't ever get caught on the day of battle without a sword in your hand. Philistines have come. They have surrounded Israel. And on the day of battle, there is no sword or spear found in the hand of any of the people who are with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan. Two swords in all of Israel. Ranged by the army. How many swords? Two. Who has got? One Saul has. One Jonathan has. And what do the next two verses say which we looked? And No, 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 no. The previous one. Who is sitting there under the tree? Under the pomegranate tree. That took 600 men and with one sword. And who is with him? Has priest wearing an effort from the cursed priesthood of Eli. 600 men, one sword and a cursed priesthood. Surrounded by Philistines. And they realize something. The other guy with the sword had gone. God can still deliver. God can still deliver. He is not dependent upon numbers. As long as our focus is not on ourselves, He can deliver. That's what in 1 Samuel 14 and verse 6, He will say, Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of this uncircumcised. Look at his lips. Listen to his words. Isn't that what years later David will say? 600 people sitting there, no sword. Father sitting there with the sword in his cupboard. And he says, are we going to sit like this? Let's go. These uncircumcised people, they have no covenant with the living God. It may be Lord will work for us for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or few. 
You think God's hand is restrained because only two people are in ministry? Eleven people, with these eleven people, what are you going to do? Turn the world upside down. God is not restrained by numbers. That's what he's saying. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Focus is very clear. We are God's people. We have a covenant with Him. And we are not to be hemmed by our enemies. We are supposed to be overcoming our enemies. And enemies are not Hindus or Muslims. They are not, they are friends to be saved. They are not enemies. Enemies are powers of darkness in the new covenant. There the enemies were the Philistines. He says, with few or many, God can overcome. And he asked him, will you come with me? Amma Bear says, I will come here with you, Lord. And he goes. I always see in my mind, the garrison of the Philistines is there. There is a rock cliff over there and they are climbing on the cliff. Up to take them by surprise. And I believe he was holding the sword in his teeth and climbing. And you will know what happens next is history. They defeat the garrison. Two men. Two men. Because they exalted God and his word about their circumstances. There are many. Many, 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 many sitting under the pomegranate tree. They go. They have worship services. They have uh, hear the word. They pray. They go back. God doesn't use them. They are surrounded by their enemies and sitting there. Priest is also there wearing the robe. Get out and do something for God. Be something for God. Be something for His kingdom and for His glory. Because God can save with few or with many. Don't waste your life. At the end of the day, you should be able to say like Paul said, my entire life has been Poured out as a drink offering in the like in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament people brought drink offerings and poured on the altar. He said in the New Covenant, it is my life I offered as an offering to my Lord Christ Jesus. Or pour it, offer it. Be focused. Be focused. Yes, you need to do well in your studies. Yes, you need to do well in your offices. Yes, you need to. But all of it at the end has to glorify God. If it doesn't glorify God, you will be just, what we say in English, just another statistic. You know statistics? Another statistic. Who was the fifth president of India? Who was that worker in the office? Just another statistics. In God's hall of fame, there are no statistics. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah built an ark for the salvation of his family. By faith, Abraham heard the voice of God and obeyed and left the earth of the Chaldeans. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, that is not statistics. That is a record whom God has glorified because they chose to glorify God in their lives. Don't be a statistics. Don't. Life is much, much bigger than what the eyes and the ears tell you. It's much, much bigger. So this morning, as we are in the house of God, let's stand up. Let's sing.
Let's tell the Lord. The first song which we sang today, which one was that? I like that one. Hmm? Yeah. Let's thank you. Thank him. What a privilege. Not only has he saved us, but we have the honor of serving the king. has come with his wife Shweta. They also got married in May in Vaisak. And Arun and Niti got married last week. Come, come, come. Once again, come. Let's put our hands together and welcome this two young couples. Awesome, right? When young people come together. In the Lord, hallelujah. Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. This morning we have the joy of being called the sons and the daughters of the living God. But Father, your word also says, so Father, we are your servants too. Through this life and through the eternity, you said, we would serve you as kings and priests. Help us never forget, O oh Lord. The purpose of salvation is that we might worship you and that we might serve you and you alone. Worship you alone and serve you alone. Thank you, Father. This morning we commit these two young couples, Lord, who just got married. We commit them into thy hands, into thy grace. I pray your hand would be upon each of them. That you would protect them. You would preserve them. By faith, I plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over their marriages, Lord. Protect it, O Lord. This is one divine institution instituted by you from the beginning, which is under assault. I pray you will hold them together, bind them together in covenant and in the covenant of love. That they will both, each one of them individually, Lord, will learn to love you with all their heart, all their mind, all their strength. 
grow in their love for God and grow in their love for each other. And they will walk with you and walk with each other. They will surrender their feelings, their aspirations, their imagination, their thoughts, everything under the authority of the word of God and the spirit of God that can bind them together, Lord. So they too will fulfill God's purpose in their life as individuals, as a couple, and as a family, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. As a church, we bless them in your name, Lord. May the hand of the living God be upon them all the days of their life, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Now this time I commit the church into thy hands, O Lord. As we go into another week, I pray, Father, that your presence would go with each one of us. That we would desire your presence more than anything else in life, Lord. Your presence, your presence, your presence, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Bless your people. Keep your people. Protect your people. Let our eyes be upon Christ Jesus. Let our confidence in be in your strength and your strength alone. And above all, Lord, when we go into the world, let that desire be in our hearts that in everything that we do, that we glorify Christ and Christ alone, O oh God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I speak your peace into every heart. I speak your peace into every home. And I speak your deliverance into every mind, Lord. And your healing into every body, Lord. Make your people whole, O God, that there might be a testimony, a sign, and a wonder in this perishing world, O God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. And we now lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.